All right. Well, it's good to be in front of you all again. When I got the call at work at Milken Camp Meets to come preach in a week, I was like, well, I might have something in my pocket that I'll pull out because I don't think I could study something that fast. Um, so before we get into just the sermon that the Lord has laid on my heart to bring forth to you guys today, let's again go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, just thank you for this day. Um, I pray that all of our hearts would just be longing to know you more. And as the passage that we are going through today, that um, the distractions of this world would just fade away and that we would just clearly hear your word, Lord, and just uh, apply it to our lives. And I thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So hopefully I speak clearly today. I didn't get much sleep because of our little girl Lucy was a little fussy last night. So if I am not clear, please be gracious to me. <laughs> so the passage that we're going to be going through today is Philippians 3, verse 17 through chapter 1, verse, or chapter 4, verse 1. I'm already messing up. And God's word says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. For many of whom I often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So as we're going to go through this passage, I want to just give you a warning of sort of the method that I'm going to be going through this passage. And the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to give you the sort of the conclusion in the beginning so that any of you who do not like suspenseful things, you don't have to worry anymore. And hopefully as we then jump back through this passage, we will see sort of threads of what Paul is trying to help the people in Philippi to do um, because of the conclusion. So let's now jump into chapter 4, verse 1, at the very end of the passage that we just read, and read it once more. 
says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So if we're going to look at the main point of what Paul's trying to tell the church in Philippi right now, we'd see his heart for them. That's part of it. But we see there's something that he tells them to do. And he tells them to stand firm in the Lord. And for a lot of us believers who've read scripture a lot, we hear this phrase a lot, but we may be like, well, what does that mean? And to understand, for me to picture um, playing a lot of sports and a lot of different activities, or should I say even meat cutting, stance is key. That having a right stance is important for a lot of things. Um, but if we were to look at, okay, well, what does standing firm mean? Like, okay, we understand that we have to be sort of in a right stance. But let's go back in Philippians now to sort of help us understand what Paul is saying here. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. God's word says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is the clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So we see here Paul going through in the beginning of this book, saying, live a life worthy of the gospel. That how you live, that you watch every aspect of your life of how you're living. And is it worthy of the good news? Is it a reflection of what Jesus has done? And going down further than looking at, he talks about standing um, firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side of faith of the gospel. That standing firm, uh, being unit, unified with believers to share the good news, to be a light to other people, as Paul said in the beginning, to live a life worthy of the gospel. That there's a unity. It's not just you do it by yourself. It is a joint effort as um, we, you guys here are a church of Carwell Community Church, but we're also uh, joined together by believers everywhere. 
that we are to join together um, and be solid, be firm in our stance of the gospel. Because what Paul says is there's people coming against us. And it's not anything new, as he says, that anyone who believes in Jesus, that they will suffer, they will be persecuted of some sort. So if we are to, I wrote down just a definition to simplify what standing firm in Christ is, and the definition I have here is not being moved or swayed to deny what Jesus has done, said, or promised by persecution or trials of any sort. Not being moved or swayed to deny what Jesus has done, said, or promised by persecutions, persecution or trials of any sort. That we would be firm, that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro by opposition that we have. And so we see Paul, that, that's the conclusion we have here. Okay, now Paul says, okay, stand firm. Now, that's not the end of the sermon. That would be a very short sermon. And we would miss so much more of what Paul helps the church in Philippi understand of how to stand firm and also the motives behind the opponents coming after us. So let's now then look, go from the beginning. So you got the conclusion. Now let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Verse 17 in chapter 3 of Philippians. And it says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And so, as I mentioned before, that standing firm is sort of a unit. You're standing firm together. It's not a single individual um, act. Um, That, yes, everyone has to work to stand firm, but it's amazing that we can do it together. It's not just an individual thing. And when Paul talks about here, he is saying, like, look at the examples you have in us. And if anything, we, to understand the context, to understand who is he referring to, I'm just going to give you sort of a rundown of people that could be, and one of them could be Silas, that in Acts 16, Paul and Silas were in Philippi, persecuted, thrown in jail, and so you got to see their time there. But if we even just look at the book of Philippians and look at two figures, that is Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I just want to read this passage because Paul writes it very nice. And if I try to explain, it might not come out as nice. So let's turn to Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And this is just looking at an example of 
people that Paul is calling to follow after. Like, look at their examples and live how they live. And it says here in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have not no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I also thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your fellow messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was, was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at the seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honors such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete, complete what was lacking in your service to me. So right there we see these two examples of what Paul is saying, follow these people, look to these people, that it able, back up, that in order to stand firm in Jesus Christ, we need people to encourage us, spur us on, to someone to look to like, wow, they live so much like Christ. I want to be like that. Someone to challenge us when we don't want to be challenged. Someone to encourage us when we're down. That, that Paul is saying here, like, look and follow these examples. And so then, looking at, Paul then switches gears and goes to talking about the enemies and sort of their motives. So we're going to read the next verses here. It says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm just going to stop real quick to look at, there could be a number of people that Paul is referring to, and there's two groups that I'm pretty sure he might be talking about. And that could be, first, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so I think we have our, our bases pretty covered there. But we see, if we were just to look at the example of the Jews, in Romans, Paul talks about his longing that he would be a curse so that his fellow countrymen 
would accept their Savior and be saved. That we see in this passage in Philippians, his tears, his longing. He doesn't have hatred in his heart. He has sadness. That he's like, man, why is it this way? Why are they, the enemies, going against the Messiah? So just a quick looking at Paul's heart for the enemies of the cross. That even for us, the challenge for us, even enemies of the cross, that we should be praying and longing for their salvation in Jesus Christ. Because, and I'll probably touch on this later if I remember, that we were all once enemies of Jesus Christ. And we should remind ourselves that we want other people to know that Jesus died for enemies, died for the ones that were rebellious. So then looking at sort of the enemy's motives of trying to unstable believers, it says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. It is a sad thing to think of that those who do not follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are enemies of Jesus by nature and that they are bound for destruction, that they are bound for hell. And that is a sad thing. There is no in-between. Either you follow Christ or you're following the world. And then looking at, Paul talks about that their God is their belly. And for me, it has become more evident with a little one of how much a little infant that their God is their belly, literally. And that her desire is for food. And as we get older, that changes a little bit. I think we just get good at hiding it better. And it could change into different things. And when it refers to their God as their belly, it is their desire. That our desires sort of rule how we live. Our idols. Because I don't want to make, I want to make it clear that desires are not bad. That it is good to desire food. It is good to desire friendship, but it depends on, has it come to a point of being an idol where you're like, I need this, and if I don't get it, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get it. And so looking at the enemies of the cross, their God is their desires. They are controlled and fixated on their desires. And then looking at us, or just continuing on here, we'll finish out and then I'll 
pointed at us, is it says, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And I could try to explain it again, but I like scripture better. So let's turn now to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18 through 25. God's word says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unguileness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they were without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they darkened, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to the impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And we see here Paul saying in Romans, and then referring back, going back to Philippians, of glorying in their shame, that they praise and lift up their sin. It is not very hard for us to look at the world today and see ways that people are sort of glorifying their sin, lifting it up. But they exchanged it for the truth, the one who deserves all our worship. And looking at these enemies are trying to tear us down, to make us not to stand firm in Jesus Christ. And these are ways that they might do it. Because I don't know about you all, but there are times that I still struggle with my desires. There are still things that I struggle with my sin in my life. Things that try to tear me down and not stand firm in Christ. And so we see the enemies of the cross are going to continually try to do these things to get us to follow in their footsteps. But we have to take a stance and say, no, we are not 
going to do that. We're going to stand firm in Christ. And now, thankfully, Paul switches gears and goes into what believers should also be looking at instead of following in the footsteps of the world. So in verse 20 of chapter 3 in Philippians, says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the church in Philippi, it, they understand the benefits of citizenship. Being a Roman colony, sort of an extension of Rome, they had benefits that many other people didn't have. But Paul is saying greater benefits, greater things is that we are citizens of heaven. That this earth that we are in right now is not our home. And thanks be to God that it is not our home. And so Paul says, remember that you are just a pilgrim here. This is temporary. And then looking at Verse 21, saying that Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That is a great comfort. And for me, who is not as wise in years as maybe some of you, I don't fully understand this to the extent that many of you do. But it is a great thing to think of that Jesus is going to transform our bodies. That it's going to be glorious. And that is something to be like, thank the Lord that he is going to do that. That our decaying bodies is not our permanent dwelling place. And as I was thinking of this, I think of a lot of persecuted Christians in other countries, especially um, with events in Afghanistan. My heart goes out to the Christians that were persecuted there and the torment that many of them had to go through for following Jesus Christ. And my heart breaks for them that some of them might not be able to walk. That some of them can't see, hear, or do many things. And I don't know what all of us here, what ailments we have, but it is amazing to think that the Lord is going to redeem our bodies. And that is a glorious thing, especially for the persecuted church, that they have a hope in Jesus Christ. And now, we look at getting back to sort of the conclusion. But I'm going to sort of add more 
to the conclusion that standing firm in Christ, you need Christ. That standing firm is not just an individual trying to power through it kind of thing. When he says in verse or chapter 4, verse 1, stand firm thus in the Lord. And you might have noticed that in verse 20, I skipped a sentence that says, from it and from it, we await a Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that we are waiting for our Savior to return. That we can stand firm because we know that we are citizens of heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That we can stand firm because we know he is coming back for us. That we have to hold on a little bit longer. But thanks be to God that he is coming back. And thanks be to God that even whatever trial or ailment or sickness that comes upon us, we can hold on to the hope that Jesus Christ, by the power that is in, in him, transform us, transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. So in that, those are things we can stand firm in. And ways to remember that we are citizens is, as Paul said in the beginning of this passage that I read, be around people who love the Lord. Be around people who are excited for his second coming. That the world is growing dim, but Jesus Christ is growing stronger. Another thing is something that he has given us that is very precious to us is Scripture. Remind yourself of who Jesus is by reading about him. That he, you be able to be like, wow, how great is our Savior. That he has given us his word to remind us. Another thing that a way to remind us to stand firm is that he gave us his Holy Spirit. That is a beautiful thing, that he gave us his Holy Spirit, that when we are drifting away and pursuing sin, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict to the point of repentance. That the Holy Spirit will remind us, no, that is not the way to stand firm in Christ when the world is trying to tear you down. And the last thing that we can do, and I'll end with this, is pray. Constant prayer. Be in constant communication with Jesus Christ. That when it is hard, Whatever is going on in your life, be like, Lord, this is just unbearable. I need your help. And so for us to stand firm in Jesus Christ, look to him, Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ.
Let me pray for all of us and for the persecuted church and for all of us that we would stand firm in Christ. Lord, just thank you for this time, for your word that you have given Paul thousands of years ago that of how to stand firm in you, Lord, I pray that we would just put ourselves around people who love you, that people would challenge us, spur us on to pursue you, that the enemies of the cross would not tear us down. And I pray that our eyes would be focused on you, that you are coming back, that we are just pilgrims here, and that one day we will have new bodies in Jesus Christ. And thanks, thank you, Lord, for your death and resurrection, that we are able to be citizens and have all the things that you have mentioned here in this passage. I pray for all of us here, that we would be bold and just courageous and stand firm in you and not let the things of this world take us away from you. I pray for all believers in the world, especially those that are being persecuted, that you would give them strength, strength to stand firm in you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.